Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a new comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator, and a critic. Before we dive in what we're going to be talking about on this episode, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices you're listening to. So I'm Hass, I make a YouTube series called Strip Panel Naked, I edit a comics magazine called Panel by Panel, and I also letter comic books. I'm Aditya Bidikar and I letter comics like Punk's Not Dead, Days of Hate, and Black Cloud. And each episode, we both bring a topic, uh, and we spend a lot of time talking about that topic. Um, and we probably are going to get really weirdly in-depth about certain things. So you if you try and stick with us, I think. <laughs> it might be interesting. Um, the first topic that I want to bring is um, about the actual role of an artist in comics. So predominantly, I'm probably going to be talking about the penciler or inker or, you know, the kind of line artist. Um, and talk a little bit about some kind of written and maybe unwritten rules. I'm probably, they've probably all been written by now. But just sort of kind of cover a little bit about what uh, a comic artist's job actually encompasses and how that differentiates, I think, from some other kind of creative mediums as well. That sounds great. And uh, my topic is based on a debate that I saw among letterers about some of the things that I do in my work that I take for granted as the right things to do. So I just wanted to talk about the different perspectives on this and which side of the line I come down on. But before we get started, it was probably just worth saying like thank you to everyone that listened to the first episode. Um, Because I don't think like we sort of talked about this a bit, didn't we? And we weren't sure if anyone yeah. would make it past like the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I think uh, I thought that maybe around 20 people would listen to it and <laughs> one of them would like it or something. <laughs> uh, because we seriously get hardcore in this stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, we've, I think we maybe well, we said we sort of found it interesting, but it was always a struggle for us to know who else will find it interesting. But uh, thank you for sticking with us. We'll try and not go with two worse than the first episode, but um, we, we'll see how this one turns out first, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but let's, I'm gonna, let's dive into the first topic then. So the topic um, that I brought was about, as I say, about the role of the artist. And this kind of springboarded from a conversation I was having with someone else about some kind like sometimes with artists in comics i i look at some of their work and think like i feel like this person was really into uh you know if it's kind of like character design maybe or this person was really into like um vehicle design or concept design work yeah and but but they were also really into comics and so they to draw comics and to draw like the things they wanted to draw in comics you kind of had to then just become the full artist of this book and the like example i was using was uh you know in film so most people come to film when they're younger. If they're like really, really interested in film, they want to work in film, they might want to be a director or they just assume they'll be a director because that's kind of like the most prominent role um, kind of visible. Yeah. But then when they start studying it and they start learning it, um, they might find out that actually they like production design more. So they can still do their dream thing of working in film, but within this kind of section of it, like, I'm just going to be the person that um, does the set dressing or I'm going to be the person that designs the costumes or designs the locations, uh, you know, or I'm going to be the person that just shoots the film or the person that lights the film. Um, whereas in comics, you don't have that luxury of just kind of wanting to do that one thing um, that you kind of like. And I remember I was interviewing Carl Kershaw for the latest issue of Panel by Panel magazine. And he mentioned that he doesn't particularly love the actual act of drawing. Um, but what he loves is the idea of visual storytelling and like actually telling that narrative from start to finish and figuring out how the narrative uh, is best is, is best going to be told. But he doesn't necessarily actually like the act of sitting there and drawing the thing for hours and hours every day. And uh, but it's one of those kind of things you've just got to accept as a comic artist because the teams are so small that 
you're actually eat, like you you might not necessarily love this is I know it's such a weird thing to say but you might not necessarily want to be the person that actually illustrates like panel by panel the comic book but you might just want to do a section of it but comics you just kind of have to do everything right like do, does yeah, that make like, sense yeah absolutely i uh, see for example um the the role of the colorist and a letterer um i think enable the artist to kind of focus on what uh, they want to do like for example an artist might want to just uh you know just draw lines and not to want to color their work or letter it but yeah, you don't yeah. have other things included like the artist would still have to do the costume design for everything they should they would have to design mm-hmm. all the buildings they would have to design all the vehicles and mm-hmm. you know that's kind of not optional like these days you see more people kind of getting help from outside but it that's not really a regular thing like nobody's nobody's going to nobody suddenly going to be an architect for comics as in just just like uh, what what do you do i just do architecture and comics that's it like you, you don't have that we before we start recording we had a you know a very quick chat about it and obviously manga is the thing where you're that's that's some, maybe the closest thing you get to kind of someone doing the entire book but also having people's assistance to kind of hand off on so you know some manga artists might just do the characters and the backgrounds get rendered by someone else yeah. But even then, it's not quite, it's, you know, it's not quite the same. And like even in animation, you've got just, you know, a background artist or you might even just have a person that just draws one character for like the entire film. Yep, yep. And each each character's got a different character artist and stuff like that. Yeah. But what you're doing as a comic artist is you're being really, um, you know, forced to do quite a lot. Like there's a, you're doing a lot of heavy lifting. And if you want to look at like, you know, if you take on a new superhero book, um, like a new run of a superhero book, like a new Batman run or a new Superman run or whatever, and you might want to change the costume around. So you might end up doing a bit of costume design. If you take Superman to an alien planet, you might have to design a brand new world. Yeah. Uh, you might like a, a brand new alien race or whatever. Whereas in a film, you might have an entire team of people whose job it is just to figure out that one alien world. In comics, it's all down to you. And it's really, like, for a writer, it might be quite easy because <laughs> for a writer, you can just be like, you know, panel one, Superman goes to new planet, panel two, uh, lands on new planet, panel three, interacts with alien creatures yeah. that look vaguely like whatever, right? <laughs> and then an artist has got to be like, okay, so in this one panel, I've got to do, uh, like, concept design, <laughs> I've got to do set decoration, I've got to do costume design, I've got to do character design. Yeah. Um, you, you, it's almost like giving personality to like every single thing on the page and that is that is like a real that's like a weirdly you know intense job yep. for someone to have to do that 22 20 times 22 pages a month um there's a lot that goes into that that i i don't know if it's as i, I think maybe it is recognized but i don't know if it's as recognized like actually how difficult um yeah, illustrating I, a comic book is absolutely i don't think it's necessarily as recognized as it should be because um like as you said, the writer and the artist might even be discussing all of those things, but the artist mm-hmm. is the one who has to see what comes out when the pen touches the page. Like you might, like I might tell an artist that, um, oh, everything on this planet has a theme of triangles, but what the <laughs> yeah. fuck does that look like? <laughs> the artist has to figure that yeah, out yeah. basically. So yeah, I don't think we recognize how much work an artist is doing just to kind of get a convincing image on the page. And I think I do think it's a shame because I think if you look at stuff like um, the Oscars and you've got awards for, you know, you've got, you have got awards for stuff like costume design and things like that. And even, I, I feel like even now in comics, when you see 
I'm thinking of people like um, Jock who've done um, costume design stuff on like Star Wars and things like that. Yeah. And they, they, they get this amazing recognition for doing it. And yet, I feel like why why don't we give people like the same recognition <laughs> for the stuff that they do in comics? Because it's it's just as difficult. Like their like their job is just as like their individual job there is presumably just as difficult. I mean, maybe you've got to be thinking a little bit more logically uh, about materials and stuff like that. But then, re- I mean, really, that's someone else's job at that stage yeah. in film anyway to turn that into a real thing. But like, why don't we? Why why not why why can't we celebrate that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think like why can't we have an award for like best costume design or uh, is that does that sound crazy? It sounded a little bit crazy when I said it out loud, but it yeah, sounded, I, it sounded I, I don't like know how. Uh, I think uh, it would be interesting because I think once it gets systematized, we would actually see a pro- proliferation of that. Um, because yeah. right now it sounds a bit silly because you'd be like, okay, you have to think very hard on okay, who does interesting uh, character design? Who does interesting costume design? Mm. Who does interesting architecture? But uh, but. If you have some kind of recognition, then it's easily possible that uh, more and more people would lean into it and yeah. just do those things. Because uh, I think I do think that um, see, an artist has to do like twenty-two pages a month, and that's mm-hmm. a lot of work. So some stuff gets sort of um, flattened out. But if you have an incentive for uh, you know, doing something in a certain direction, I think you might just lean more into it. Yeah, but it, it does sort of play into as well, like, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but it does kind of play into a kind of recognition for comics um, as a as a sort of a more intense, I think, more intense art form than maybe people give it credit yeah, for. Yeah, I think typically. so, because uh, here's, here's what's inter- interesting. Um, okay, a comic is made by a very small team, uh, you have something like four to seven people, but a prose novel is written by one person, usually, like it might yeah, be two yeah. people. And the yeah. work that we sort of are mentioning that an artist has to do, a lot of that work is stuff that a writer has to do as well. Like they have to do their research and they have to convincingly describe something. But the difference mm-hmm. there is description versus visualization. Like, in prose, yeah. the reader is doing all the visualization. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can tell you you're in Russia and it's cold, and you kind of have all you need to picture the scene. But an artist yeah, would yeah. actually have to look at what winter looks like in Russia. What do people wear, and you know all of those things. So I think it's very easy for a reader not to uh, think about these things because uh, when you're convinced you're sort of ignoring those things. Like you're like, oh, this is Russia in the 1980s or whatever. Uh, But the artist has had to take, put in a lot of work to get that through to you. I think that is actually why people don't actually notice it quite a lot. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think with, yeah, with novels, you end up having to actually, you're, 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 you're much more involved in the creation of those things as a reader. So you actually have to like, engage very specifically with the description whereas with comics it's like one fleeting panel of like a brand new um i don't know uh like a bat copter or whatever right <laughs> say for example um and and then it's gone and and actually like that bat copter might be like the most exquisitely designed piece of work yeah and yet it will just it will just be glossed over by most readers again this is this like this could so easily because i've got a load of things i could talk about about the kind of like disposable nature of monthly comics yeah. but that's a whole i think that's a whole yeah, other topic because, but leading because very quickly the thing that i'm thinking about now is that 
you know should an artist be doing that should an artist actually mm-hmm. be putting all those uh, all that work into it but you know then i think about something like see for example watchman uh, the fact that yeah. dave gibbons was a trained architect added so many things to the book like he basically i th- i believe he created models of the street corner that uh, you know the central street corner where the newspaper stand is and stuff like that yeah. and the fact is when i was first reading the book it might not have struck me as a particularly noticeable thing but the third or fourth time that i'm reading the book i am i start to notice the amount of work that is being put into it so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think you you have to look at the disposability aspect because i think if the artist approaches the book as disposable they might end up not doing all that work and you know that's fine like that's yeah. that's their decision yeah. that's their approach to the book but somebody who then puts the work into it um you know it's it's a crap shoot uh, sorry it's a crap shoot whether or not your work will be noticed but <laughs> i i don't i don't know if that's the deciding factor in uh putting in the work or not because i don't think a lot of artists look at oh like people are going to be looking at this so i need to put more work into it that's that's not an approach that i've heard that many artists espousing Yeah it's 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 kind of um it plays into something that I because I talked about I got asked this question I think I got asked this question or maybe I just answered this question when I was doing um uh, David Harper's podcast uh, yeah. his off panel podcast and it was we were talking a little bit about like comics journalism generally and um like big comics websites and for some reason I I got on a tangent <laughs> about like if we can if comics websites almost kind of treated comics um with a little bit more respect overall yeah. uh which is not to say that they don't but just uh, i think on the face of it if you were not like a like a casual comics person or like a non comics fan you kind of ended up on one of these comics websites it w- you will get a you will get a certain sense of what comics are and i don't believe that that is necessarily the correct sense of what comics are and so there is an element of like as a whole like we can do could well we can do more to treat comics as as like a, a you know a more serious or more interesting kind of medium to tell a story yeah. in And I think part but I do think part of that is also again I, 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 it's hard to know because I think this kind of comes back to the overall like the overarching topic which was it depends what someone kind of finds interesting about drawing comics and not everyone is going to find um you know like the the kind of background rendering or the the world building or the concept design stuff they're not they might not find that stuff interesting they might be much more interested in uh, the storytelling and it's also understanding like having a an almost like you could have an award for the different kind of <laughs> styles or something like you could have like an award for like like visual story no, to oh, no, you that's, no, that, that's basically I, saying that oh this guy is a better comic artist than the other people Yeah, but I, you know what I mean. But like, because uh, uh, it's not the same way to tell a story. In the same way that, like, you can shoot a film um, in a myriad of different yeah, like, ways, but it doesn't necessarily mean that one way is better than the other. And just because one might not lean as heavily on like concept design, doesn't mean that it's not going to be as interesting a piece of work. Exactly. Um, like, but the what uh, I mean, you, like, I mean, just 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 imagine. Let's say um, Erica Henderson drawing a fight scene, and Esad Ribic mm-hmm. drawing a fight scene. uh they're going to have tremendously yeah. different priorities and they're going to focus mm-hmm. on different stuff but i'm probably going to enjoy both of them just as much like in different ways it's not yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like so you yeah like it's 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 a very i think i think we we're wandering into the area of taste at this point <laughs> yeah like, see, for, yeah, for example yeah, like, take a look at this um i love the new runaways 
and one of the biggest reasons why mm-hmm. i love it is christopher anka's costume designs if you mm-hmm. i don't know if you had a different artist on that book i might have found it a lot less interesting i don't i don't know but the thing is that is the book we are getting so um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean maybe if i said this to christopher anka he might say that hey you didn't notice the interesting thing i was doing with spot blacks in that issue or something like that i don't know but like yeah, the fact yeah, is the yeah. work that somebody's putting into it is not always necessarily going to be uh the thing that everybody else notices uh, yeah, yeah yeah but also i mean the anchor, the anchor example is a great one because if you look at uh anchor's twitter yeah. as well you can see that like he particularly clearly has a kind of love for like costume yeah. design because um, he does all those kind of uh, like single character images that are so clearly like leaning on creating really cool, really interesting costume design, and so that's I think he like that's a really good like really good example of someone who may like his passion could like maybe if he got into the like if comics were films basically like maybe his thing with that he would have lent more into like the costume design part of it. So that is and like I think like say Sean Gordon Murphy might lean more into like the concept design yeah. part of it. Um, Daniel Warren Johnson maybe might lean more into like the fight choreography side of it, or or like special, like like special <laughs> gore effects or whatever. It's like it's 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 all these like interesting things that um, I think then also become big facets of how you can identify someone's style, which I suppose is the core of, of the core of the topic is that these things end up becoming like an identifiable. Yeah, that's that's quite true. Um, but yeah, I think, know, exactly. Element. I think there's a, there's a fine line between where uh, it's about the artist doing everything and the artist uh, focusing on the thing that they love. Like, obviously you want the artist yeah. to always be doing the things that they enjoy, but the fact is they're going to have to do 20 other things all the time. And <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the maybe it's a pity that that is the thing that nobody notices. Like, uh, because, because, you know, um, as a, let's say uh, I write uh, stories once in a while, right? And the things that mm-hmm. I am proudest of are usually the things that were incredibly challenging to me and that I'd sort of managed to accomplish. But the thing that everybody mm-hmm. notices is the thing that I already know I do well. So I think that's just a funny yeah. thing about being a creator. Uh, but yeah, like I don't think, I, I mean, coming back to what you were saying, I don't think artists get credit for that. Like... I don't think artists get credit mm. for doing all the things that they can and 10 to 20 other things. And that, yeah, and it, it, well, that, it, the other thing is the credit, like, so the credit they especially don't get, I, I think from a wider base. And also, you know, I should preface this by saying, why should they get this credit? Because you shouldn't, like, people shouldn't really be noticing this generally okay. in the first place. Um, the, ne- the next thing I'm yeah. about to talk about, which is kind of like some of the, the hidden rules in terms of kind of like the more like storytelling crafty yeah. bits. Um, and these these are probably some of the stuff that you and I may bump into more often than anyone else might notice them. Um, probably like the big one for me is well, okay. There's a couple of big ones for me, but the the big one for me that is like I'm surprised sometimes by generally through um, comics how little this is known. And it was you know I, also I didn't know this until I started lettering. So I guess it's just one of those things that like you learn when you more as a letterer, and then as you know it, you kind of like why doesn't everyone else know this? But because they didn't need to learn it. But is the page dimensions <laughs> thing? Now this is a really weirdly specific. Um, thing that that uh, I that like I've run into a few times on projects where the 
the page dimensions for comics are, to begin with, a kind of like yeah. weird. It's not just like a stand. It's not just like ten by fourteen or whatever. Yeah. It's uh, ten point one eight two five. And that's uh, that's actually it gets easier when you think about it in terms of eighths. Like um, it's basically yeah, based yeah, on yeah. one eighth of an inch. Uh, so it says mm-hmm, a multiple mm-hmm. of that. But yeah, the the bleed size of the pages. 6.875 by 10.4375 and the trim size is 6.625 by 10.1875 and just imagine how sad my life is that I know this by rote <laughs> but that's and that's what's more annoying and this is more annoying for the artist is that does not at all match up with the ratio of what you'll often get for like a, 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 like a physical um, Bristol board. Uh, which no, is it's like 10 eleven by seventeen. By 17 and, the so, fun, and the funny thing is, it does match up to eleven by sixteen point seven. So that's that's funny. Like you just have to like <laughs> right, lop yeah. off the last third of an inch, and then you get something that is absolutely. But that that third of an inch, that third of an inch is yeah. is is a bit of a bugger, yeah. or can be a bit of a bugger. And so there there is an element of understanding beyond just the bleed and the trim, also the kind of general live area. Because the thing that I, when I understood it, was you kind of only have your panel borders butting up more or less against the live area of the page. Yes. Um, And then you've got the kind of, the bleed will kind of, uh, anything that goes beyond that, you kind of want to hit past up to the bleed. Um, But what I think happens is that people, because people aren't versed with this and because most people will come up through an indie yeah. route where they might be doing books themselves and so a lot of this stuff ends up being trial and error. So wait, I, th- I think I think we need to pause here and I think we need to explain what bleed, trim and live area is uh, because I think that a lot of people, including some artists, might not be aware of this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so here's basically, here's uh, the thing. Uh, the trim area of the paper is what the comic will actually print at. So that is basically 6.625 by 10.1875 inches, which is more or less 17 by 26 centimeters, but just more or less, it's not exactly that. And then mm-hmm. uh, the reason that you draw beyond that, like there is a there is such a thing called a bleed area, which is basically uh, 0.125 inches extra on all sides. And that is because uh, let's say you want a place page that looks all black. You know, if you limit your black to the trim area, like if you basically draw the black to exactly the edges of the paper, uh, sorry, exactly the edges of the comic, what can happen is that when your comic is being printed and cut, uh, the alignment might be slightly off and you might get a line of white or something on your comic that is supposed to be all black. So that is why you basically leave an extra 0.125 inches outside. So anything that you want to go to the edges of the page, you take it outside the edges of the page to the bleed area. So that let's say the blade kind of shifts by 0.01 inches or something, you still have artwork there and your comic will still print fine. Now, uh, what you also have to take care of is that... um, because of uh, you know stapling and gluing and you know stuff like that you might basically like let's say you put all your text to the absolute edge of the page it might actually go outside the page or you know stuff like that so there is such a thing called a live area which is the um, sort of considered the important area so everything important that you need to convey to the reader and all the text 
needs to stay within that. Now that area is basically 0.35 inches, um, you know, left on all sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 0.35 inches is basically three three by eight inches, essentially. Yeah. So what you, you, you what you end up with is kind of like a, a rectangle uh, within the page, which is kind of like where yeah. the main bits of the page have to take place in, or not have to take place in, but ideally should take place in, just to make sure nothing is lost when it's actually being exactly. For example, physical, let's say you have a right uh, like side page comic. and you are reading a trade paperback, and the trade the way that a trade paperback bends, you don't actually see till the edge of the page. So if there's any important information mm-hmm. there, that's just going to be lost to the reader, which you don't want to happen. And this is what we're, this is kind of the other part of the topic is about the the, the it's, I mean these rules are written rules they're not unwritten rules but they're they're kind of uh, things that you end up I think probably people learn yeah. end up end up learning more through trial and error um, than they do that like then there is the, yeah, the actually, kind of like the artists um, like you know you, when you join the comic artist guild <laughs> no, they I, give you the handbook and they yeah, go, like, I actually you know, got schooled on this by the best like basically at some point of time I had the temerity to try and letter a sea guy page as a you know practice page. And then I put it up on a forum where Todd Klein was yeah. also present. And his his one note to me was that <laughs> your final balloon is going absolutely to the bottom of the page. It needs to be a little up. You need to understand what is what the live area is so that yeah. uh, you can keep all the important stuff in there. Like I, I, I got schooled by the best, essentially. <laughs> well, it's, it's a weird thing because, it, it, again, it's one of those things that, that ends up being uh, kind of limiting... Uh, or guiding a little bit of what you can do. And I think so much of what we talk about with comics, especially, again, this is also probably a topic within itself, the idea that comics are like, uh, you know, have no budget compared to films or whatever. But there are but there are still things that you have to take into consideration. And, you know, when you're working with film, the big thing that I've found in my experience is always, is always money. Like, everything comes down to what can I do to keep it within this set budget and this set... Um, you know, set costs that I've got to make this film. With comics, there is an element, many, many different elements of things like time and amount of panels and locations, um, characters, all that kind of stuff. And just energy sometimes. Like, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you're going to get, like, let's say it's the fifth issue of your arc and it's right before the hiatus. You're probably not going to want to give your artist all the absolutely detailed stuff to draw that he's going to research because you know, at this point, they just want a break. Yeah, yeah. And then a part of that is also understanding how the thing can actually be put together in the first place. And that even comes down to, like, yeah. weird little things. Like, um, I mean, this has not happened to me, I don't think. But even things like understanding how a comic uh, is printed and put together in the terms of, like, where a double-page splash lands, which is also a writing thing, obviously. Yeah. Um and also like left and right lead-throughs, when a page turn's going to be, and all that kind of stuff. But I think a big one is when it starts to get technical because i think all that stuff is still kind of story elements but when it starts to get technical i think this is the thing that has risen up a few times for me is that like kind of like that idea of like understanding uh the final format because it's such and i wonder if it's just because it's such like a boring thing because it is kind, it is like kind of boring to learn like the um like the dimensions of this thing and understand like how it's going to print and because you kind of need to know the technical requirements behind it for it to make sense in the first instance yeah, no, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's a few different things. And I'm, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to run through the options <laughs> yeah, as I see them. <laughs> so the first thing is, like I mentioned in the last podcast, uh, that sometimes it's a newbie artist and they don't know everything that goes into mm-hmm. it. So they've seen a comic and they just assume that, like, it, it, they just it's just not something that they think mm-hmm. about. 
So they just uh, like I've I've met so many artists who just draw at A4 because they just assume that you know it, okay it A4 is the paper that I have I'm going to draw that draw at that yeah. you know and uh, I I actually remember that at one point uh, one of my artists had done that uh, this is very early on and I just ex- uh, adjusted it I just basically you know added a little uh, so I just added a little gutter space on all sides and I just fit it to standard comic size. And the next time that we were doing a comic together, uh, he basically sent me A4 size pages again. And this time I actually said that, you know, this is the thing that's causing a problem. Could you maybe figure this out? Mm -hmm. And he was like, it printed fine last time. (laughs) And I had to explain to him that, no, no, it printed fine last time because I adjusted. (laughs) So so a lot of the time it's just something that they don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other thing is uh, there is a divide between artists who've been working pre-digital and people who've been working post-digital. Yeah. So for pre-digital people, that 11 by 17 thing is the done thing. Yeah. So I have received art at that size a lot of times. And the artists have basically told me that this is the way I've been giving this all my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that they kind of, they know that the book is going to be printed at a smaller size, but uh, because they were just, told that, oh, like, you know, we've gone digital, but you keep doing that. So they just didn't know that. No, and there are, there are absolutely valid reasons for that. Because uh, when you, when uh, in the early days of digital lettering, for example, you would actually do the lettering and then you would print it out at original size and then you would paste it onto the artwork. Mm-hmm. So the artwork still needed to be at the old size. Yeah. You know, and uh, so basically a lot of them have just been working like that. And, um, you know, let's say you've, you're working for the big two, you have a production department that takes care of it. Mm -hmm. But when you now go into, let's say, independent comics or comics where the letterer is doing the production, then suddenly you've hit up against like, oh, the letterer is working at one size and I'm working at a different size. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you kind of have to, you know, talk and adjust then. The third thing is um, different comics companies have different requirements. So I actually know a couple of comics companies that want pages at the size that we just described plus a one inch margin all around yeah yeah and i don't know like maybe it works for them but i've worked with people who like they told me that no i'm working at the correct size and i i told them no this is this doesn't look good on my template and then at some point of time i just accidentally pasted their page into my template and then i realized oh this is what's happening oh they've they've actually worked at the right size as they understand it uh, I didn't understand it because I have never, I didn't think that, oh, there would be a margin involved. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, so there are all these reasons that somebody might be working at the wrong size. What does worry me is that there is no conversation happening. So, like, if there is no conversation happening, I think that the artist should be in control of how the page looks when it's printed. And this is one of those things that an artist, I feel, should be doing mm-hmm. in order to make sure that they are in control of how the page is printed. So, like, what do you think? What, like, have I covered all the aspects, or like, are there a couple of more? No, I think I think it ultimately comes down to is it's one of those things where, especially on indie comics, I think you don't the person that is going to be affected by that is usually who comes on last. So it's either the it's either the letterer or it's the you know if so, or if someone's doing like the production design the the kind of book design or whatever. Um, yeah. So 
because for the most part, a write like and I've I've explained it to a few writers, and uh, you know, it's not necessarily for a writer to care about the specific page dimensions beyond understanding what you what you can physically fit into a page. Um, yeah, that's the thing. You, you as a writer, you don't really have to worry about. Yeah. For the artist, you know, you'll you'll be drawing like for the most part, you'll like you might have the book drawn by the time the person can come on and tell you like that doesn't fit the template. And yeah. it's it's always a difficult position because it's like no one's really done anything wrong, but also yeah, at the same but, time something is wrong. Um, yeah, and, and like, one of you will have to fix it. It's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. now down to which one of you. Yeah, yeah. It's like there is a problem that needs to be fixed, but it's kind yeah. of like no, it's not. It's not as of yet really been anyone's fault. Um, yeah. And I, I like that's. I feel like there. It's it's a difficult position because it's like everyone that wants to write comics. I feel like we should like you know there should be like a quick. I mean, this information is available, but there should be kind of like a quick pamphlet that's just yeah. like four or five pages long. It just says like, you know, these are the things you need to worry about bef- like when you get your artist on board or before you even start writing it. Like, this is a, this is what a script looks like. This is what a finished page needs to be like. You know, these are the considerations that your artist will have to have. And these are considerations you'll have to have for a colorist and a letterer, et cetera, et cetera. You know what, Has I think you've just given me an idea. <laughs> I, I'm going on vacation next month. <laughs> and it's entirely possible that I'm going to come back from it having written this That's, I think it's a good idea, man. It, it's it's like, it's so, I mean, the problem is all the information's there. And like um, Nate Blambot has like a really good um, kind of like production-y bit on his website that kind of tells you various bits yeah, and Yeah, like, and Jamie, Jamie, McElvey, uh, Jamie McElvey did a very nice, thorough article about how to submit your pages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think I think he had to think about sizes there. He had to think about I think he had ink limits and stuff like that as well nice. in there. Uh, but it would be nice if we had a handbook where, okay, you're a writer. These are the things you're going to have to think about. You're an yeah. artist. These are the things you're going to have to think about. You're a colorist. These are the things you're going to have to think. I about. think especially as a as a for an indie level. Yeah, like I think um, uh, you know what uh, I I want to kind of pause here and I want to I want to explain what production is. <laughs> okay. Because it's very relevant uh, in the mistakes that people mm-hmm, make. Mm-hmm. So production is anything that happens between the book being done and the book being printed. So I have, let's say I have lettered my pages, mm-hmm. right? I am going to submit the lettering separately. Now, somebody is going to have to put the colored pages together with the mm-hmm. lettering in a format that the printer can then use to yep. print. So that can be a standard PDF, that can be an InDesign file. Um, you know, I have, I, I used to do production for a company and, uh, you know, their printer had a particular preset that they had given mm-hmm. us that you run your InDesign file through this preset that will spit out a PDF and that's the PDF you give yes. us. You know, so all of those things come under production. Different printers have different color profiles that they need. And, you know, uh, depending on the paper, you're going to need different levels mm-hmm. of ink. For example, uh, what happens is that if there's too much ink on the paper and the paper can't support it, the paper starts to warp. So to avoid that, uh, a printer will generally tell you that you should you need to keep your uh, CMYK values under, let's say, 300, under 250 and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And the thing is, I have actually worked with indie colors who are not aware of that because, you know, when you're just doing coloring that's not something that you need to understand but you know after your first couple of jobs you're going to find that the uh, book prints badly and then you're going to start you know lowering your ink levels 
So this is this is why colorists basically tell you that if you want to use darker colors, try and keep the black to a minimum so that the page can still mm-hmm, handle mm-hmm. it, essentially. So all of these things are stuff that people only, like the, these are things that are part of production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of these are, like you want to make things easier for the person who's putting these things together. And as many of these things that you can take care of beforehand, uh, the better. And it is, and it, it does just all come down to that, like, trial and error. It's like, for most people, it's just kind yeah. of like, you, you do something, uh, and, it, you know, some of it is successful, some of it isn't successful. Uh, and so on your next project, you go, okay, I need to make sure I, you know, don't, I, I worry about that thing so we don't have that problem again. And then your next project, you're like, okay, you yeah. know, we fucked up on that one. Okay, we'll fix that. But when so much of it is just these kind of like, I think it's it's so much better if the things you 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 feel aren't as successful are creative things as opposed to technical things. Because like getting a technical <laughs> yeah. thing wrong is just a like it's just a punch in the balls, right? It's just like yeah, that was, it's just a bummer for yeah. No it's like that was not a like that's not a thing where I had to grow you know, as a person or whatever, like develop my art form uh, to, to kind of see what I've done wrong or like, you know, through now like new life experiences, I've realized that was probably a bad bit of writing or whatever, which I'm sure, you know, I've done that a thousand times. But when it's just like, oh, we, you know, we messed up the page dimensions or we messed up the, you know, the level of ink or we messed up like the placement for that caption or whatever and we put it too far out of, ba- out of bounds. Like that's the stuff yeah. where it's like, that's the kicker. Like that's gutting when that's when that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. So it would be yeah. You, oh you man, should... that happened to me. Like I once, I once had a book that printed way too dark <laughs> yeah. because I w- I was handling production at the time, and like the reason I know about ink limits that I f- uh, is that I fucked it up really badly <laughs> once. The, the the whole thing printed so dark, and I just I was just like, oh fuck this. This is this is my fault. <laughs> Like, I, I should have done this. Well, that's and it's just a kick in the balls. That you should yeah. make the pamphlet. That I think that I think that'll yeah, be good. I think, yeah, I think I might uh, because I, I I I'm pretty sure I could basically do a rough draft of the coloring stuff and send it to a couple of other colorists to yeah. check, and they might add something. I'm gonna steal from the best. I'm gonna steal from other people. It could be it could become indus- the industry standard Bidikar guide, the Bidikar, the Bidikar booklet. I don't, I don't know. Like it would be very nice if it happens, just so that you know the next project I'm doing, I don't get uh, badly fucked pages. Well, the, the, so there's a couple of other. Um, we've been talking about this topic for a while, so we'll, I'll I'll try and move quick for the last couple of ones because there are other couple of like ones that get mentioned quite a bit, um, and I think that's the really obvious one from our point of view, I suppose is the idea of like having a speaker to the left side, the first speaker of the panel should be on the left side of the panel. Um, yeah. Which is a really like, uh, I feel like it gets mentioned a lot, but I don't know, but maybe I'm just looking for it because it's the sort of thing that I would need to take notice of or the thing that bothers me. Um, but it's like, it's, you know, when you read a comic book, um, you're going to go left to right for the most part of it's English. Uh, and so when you have a couple of people speaking in the same panel, if you place the person who's speaking second on the far left side of the panel, and you place the person who's speaking first on the right side of the panel, you're causing a difficult job for a letterer because they've got to then like shove a balloon on the left side of the page, but then pointing to the right side, and then put a balloon on the right side, potentially aiming to the left side, or they have to come up with a really horrible creative solution. I say horrible creative solution because there's there's never a good is there? I don't think there is. Is there? There's never a good solution to that. No, I don't think so. I think I think uh, let's say let's say you have a lot of uh, space at the top. 
and the speakers are sort of close together, mm-hmm. you can still make it work. But if the speakers are quite far away from each other yeah. and there's not that much space, you know, you have to put the balloons in the center. You are kind of destroying the composition. Mm-hmm. And you have to like draw really long, ugly tails. But the fact the fact you said it will it can work, it can still work, is not like that's not an endorsement of do you know what I mean? It's not like yeah, yeah, that's, it's exactly. not a problem. It's it's yeah, we can make it work. It's and, not gonna be the best it could have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um that's for sure. And that's like and I I've like again, I'm sure we've like every person that has ever lettered anything uh is that's listening to this will have come across this in their time with lettering things. Um there's always times. Yeah, there's always things where you that maybe enough space hasn't been left uh to fit a balloon in and you have to have a very, very, very creative solution. And you, what I mean by short as a shorthand for creative in this sense is just a patch right it's just like a fix for the problem it's not it's not creative as in like yeah exa- exactly that's, like that's really what are you going to do then like, yeah 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 you're either gonna like the the what happens most of the time in these situations is that you go back to the writer mm-hmm. and the writer essentially writes a shorter balloon for you yeah yeah and then you patch it up but the thing is that could have been avoided if there was enough space yeah it's like a, that, is, that, that was not yeah it's a solution to a problem you didn't need to have um, exactly. For example, this is this is something that I would endorse every artist should do, uh, is that you should take a look at the script and you should leave that much space. And ideally, you should just draw a rough balloon mm-hmm. while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason that there are artists who start with the lettering. Like, <laughs> for example, Dave Gibbons and Eddie Campbell have especially talked about how they design an entire page mm-hmm. around the lettering. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of the sort of like commonalities is that they both work in the nine panel grid quite a lot. But <laughs> but other than that, I think if if you know where your words are going to go, you're going to compose a better page mm-hmm. uh, because you're going to take that into account. And you don't have to send it over to the letterer. I mean, you can. Like I, I've, I've worked with a lot of artists who've done that. But what that's definitely going to do is that it's going to give you more control over the page. And that's yeah. always a good thing. I feel that an artist getting more control over how the page looks is always a good thing. I mean, it's instantly noticeable, isn't it? When you like, when you open up a page, you can tell straight away if that person has been, uh, has, has put time into kind of like figure, like figuring out where the balloons are going to go. But I, I yeah, did see, yeah. I can't remember who it was. It was someone on Twitter. I think it was a writer. I think it was, I can't, I think it was a writer. Maybe it was Kurt Busiek or someone like that, but I, it maybe it wasn't him. Um, but saying yeah. that like the, there was their golden rule was, uh, however, like leave a bunch of space, um, for the letterer, based on what, how much um, you know, writing there is in the script, obviously. But whatever you think is okay to leave, just leave like a like twenty five percent more space. And no, I think that was an artist. I think that might artist? have been Jamie McKenzie. Okay, okay, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, we'll yeah, get, because we'll I've heard this other rule that you should just leave the top third of the panel empty, and I don't agree with that. Yeah, I think yeah. that that leads to a fairly boring composition mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more about the space. I don't think it's uh, like, see, uh, that's that's a convenience thing. Like leaving the top third empty is always a convenience. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Because then, then you're just like trying to do the lowest common denominator thing of not messing up too badly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's much better if you just actually like take this into account. See, like, you, I mean, there's, you can just look at a page that you like and you can look at how big the font tends to be. Mm-hmm. And then you can just, just just use Arial or something and just copy paste the text in yep. and just just paste that onto your page while you're working. Mm-hmm. I, see, for example, Sean Phillips, um, 
absolutely, absolutely uses lettering to compose his pages because uh, he basically pastes in uh, the lettering uh, while he's doing his pencils. Mm-hmm. And then he, uh, I think he like prints out the blue line and then he inks it without the lettering and then he adds in the lettering again. But the fact is you're always guaranteed that the le- he's thought of the lettering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when, when I, so when the, the, the book that I'm writing uh, with Junie Barr, the uh, like yeah. story Felix and Macabre, so when he does roughs for that, his roughs, he sends me, you know, his roughs are rough, but he, what he's got in there is copy-pasted text in just like a standard comic font. Um, in, yeah. in his, and he's, he's done the layouts already. And it's like, you can, and it's also really useful for, for the thing. Um, I don't know. We didn't talk about this last time. I think I was talking to someone else about this. No, we did talk about this last time, right? About the idea of doing talk a Talk to other people? No. It, <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. There's a dra- we did, we talked about doing a draft uh, once you get the art back, right? Like redraft. Yeah, that, that your was script. Us, yeah. yeah, and yeah. Um, so like that's also incredibly useful for that. Like when he shows me the rough pages and I can see the the text and then see the art together, even if it is you know it's very basic shapes, you can look at that and be like, that just does not work. Like from a glance, like that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Or that does work. With me, more often than not, it's that doesn't work, but it means I can change it to something that does work a little bit better. Um, but it also means that when you get the final pages, then he's then he's also working with a, like a redraft already. So it's like if you know if yeah. if I'm saying to him like you know let's scrap that like that balloon, we just don't need it, uh, or let's change that balloon to something else. Then he's adapting that uh, when it comes to finished pages. But you can still tell in those finished pages that he that we've gone through that process in the roughs of him actually like knowing like that's where text is going to go, that's where text is going to go, and that's where text is going to go. And that stuff is so exactly. so vital. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I used to write comics, what I would do is I would get the thumbnails from the artist. I would basically just paste it into my uh, template because mm. I would be lettering it, and I would just paste in the text and I would basically uh, kind of draw rough uh, balloons around it, and then I would print uh, i would basically send a pdf back to the artist and then we would discuss that like we mm-hmm. would basically be like okay so this is the final page as it's going to look mm-hmm. so how 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 much do we like it what do you want to change about it and i'm guessing like people who uh, don't letter themselves will have a slight disadvantage there but you can still paste in text i mean it's yeah just, you can yeah you can still get a rough gauge yeah so have exactly. you got, yeah. have you got any is there any other that you can think of kind of of those sort of like invisible rules that really no one should be aware of apart from, I guess, us and the artists. Is there anything else an artist has to consider in a page? As in, um, that's a big, that's a big, very broad question. As in, uh, that will, <laughs> that potentially, uh, you know, is one of those, is one of those kind of like, you know, those, Are you talking those, about like, specifically lettering considerations? Yeah, something that that is a specific thing, like to make sure that the rest of the process kind of flows well. Um, okay, the most important thing to me is the page dimensions. Like I, uh, the fact is, like you budget a certain amount of time for lettering, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't like getting to my desk and finding out that oh, I'm gonna have to send these back, and I'm gonna have to basically move this book to another day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. because like yeah. you know they're gonna they're gonna reformat the pages and send them back to me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just. It's just a matter of convenience there. Uh, But one thing that I see quite a lot that I would like artists to think about is that especially when you're doing close-ups, please consider where the balloon's going to (laughs) go. Yeah. Um, Because you're... Like, the problem is that your close-up is going to be undercut if Mm -hmm. I have to paste that ring between somebody's eyes or something like that. (laughs) Like, yeah. um, Yeah, it's just... Just it's it's about like okay, how do you want 
this to look mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just try and take all those things into account mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's very vague but no, uh, no every, you, everything else everything specific kind of goes to that like it's all about how do you want the page to look finally and just be very careful how other people are, uh, how other people's work is going to affect that well you you, you stole mine because i was going to talk about the close-ups because that's one thing that <laughs> i specific for, like for some reason i've i've let a lot of like close-ups of mouths um and I would like in my head that seems like an easy thing, but when the whole panel is the mouth, it becomes really weird and difficult to figure out how to like kind of letter yeah, that. Just, I, I would actually say that just artistically, um, I have generally found that close-ups of eyes work better for this kind of thing than close-up of close-ups of mouths mm-hmm. because, um, like, just as a storyteller, just a close-up of the mouth is not going to tell the reader anything. You're mm-hmm. just like your dialogue is the thing that's going to tell the reader stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. But if you have eyes instead and then you leave enough space on the left and right or at the top, you're going you're, you're gonna to be able to tell the reader something through the eyes mm-hmm. apart from the dialogue. Well, the, the, la- like the last thing I suppose to wrap this up, which uh, I think we touched on earlier anyway, is this idea that like even though you, there are different parts of the production process going on, um, yeah. And that, you know, even for a, a pencil or inker, maybe it feels like, potentially feels like your process ends um, when it gets handed off to the next person. So if it's the colorist or the letter or whatever. Um, but actually, there is still, you still have a lot of say and a lot of control. Even even if you, you know, even if you for some reason never even spoke to the letterer, there is still a lot you can do to have control over what that finished page is going to look like. And so yep. there is no reason, uh, I mean, obviously beyond general constraints of things like time, there is no, you know, there's not, I don't think there's anything stopping people kind of having a more direct line of control over what the finished piece of work is going to look like. Um, and you can almost kind of not, not quite force our hand, but you can very, you can give us very clear uh, direction and suggestion and nudges. Um, yeah, like I see, for example, page. yep. So uh, I have received emails from a bunch of artists when I've asked them that, uh, like, I basically let's say I, I'm lettering a book, and at issue mm-hmm. three, I finally see their thumbnails, and I yep. see that their thumbnails actually have placements on them. I generally mm-hmm. send them a line, uh, drop them a line saying that, hey, just feel free to send me placements next time. And yeah, I've yeah. always heard back from them saying that, hey, sorry, I did not want to stifle your creativity or like it's it's generally apologetic. And yeah. the thing is, um, like, I don't think most letterers would mind getting placements as long as you're OK with us occasionally ignoring them for, you know, uh, <laughs> our purposes. And that's usually been the case. Like, for example, yeah, I have yeah. a couple of books on which I get placements from the editor and there's a couple of books on which I get placements from the artist. And their instruction is always that, OK, you know what? This is the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think that there's anything else that will make it work better, you can do that. So if you're doing placements, I would suggest that you should just send them over to the letterer and just let them know that, you know what, this is what I was thinking of because I think that you're going to end up a lot happier with the result. The, well, this I think uh, this is a really nice way to link it into your topic as well because what that does is it does mean that you, uh, as an artist and a letterer kind of combo, are going to produce a page which is much, much closer to keeping everything kind of tied together more naturally. 
Um, yeah. you, could you, if, especially if the art is, you know, really working to emphasize certain placements, and the letter is understanding that in, in a very direct way, especially with getting rough, uh, like rough placement from the artist, that means that you can really work as a letterer to make sure that the art and the lettering sings. You know, it really works together as one combined whole unit, which yeah. is essentially what we also talked about last week um, when we talked about the reasons why. Uh, you know, we would do certain things as letterers that kind of try and link into the art style of the artists that we're working with and change the balloon styles and strokes and things like that to match that, which I guess is a similar, is, is that a nice way to lead into your topic for this episode? Uh, I think, I think so. I think so. Let, let, <laughs> let, let me try and pull this together. <laughs> so uh, basically last time we talked about how, um, see, for example, calli- calligraphic strokes, on mm-hmm. balloons, like, you know, the, the balloons that look a little more natural and brush-like. Yeah. Um, how I do those quite a lot, and I've sort of not seen a reason in the last few years to go back to uh, digital-looking balloons, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, there is a lot of presumption around the idea that all of these are good things to be doing. Like, that was that is my assumption. Like I've always (laughs) thought that this is a good thing to be doing. So for example, um, you know, you have a font and uh, let's say the font comes with two variations of each letter, which most comic book lettering fonts do. Mm -hmm. The idea that you want to alternate between them uh, to make it look more hand done, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I take it that is a self-evidently a good thing to do. But I have heard recently about some sort of ambivalence about that. So I kind of wanted to just talk about what these assumptions are uh, and how there might be disagreement about that and the reasons behind, for example, me <laughs> yeah. doing it or somebody mm-hmm. else thinking that it's you know not a necessary thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that also ties into the thing, overall thing, that how much input and let's say how how much um, artistic aggressiveness should a letter have? <laughs> yeah. You know? So that that's actually my overall topic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to start what? with the idea that, okay, so why, why do we think that calligraphic strokes are self-evidently a good thing to be doing? Yeah, I so, think, but this, I think yeah. that does tie into overall, like the broader topic of like looking at something as because like I want to look at it as an overall piece of work as opposed to specific stages of it, and so I, I can also kind of I think that's part of where that lettering is invisible thing can come into it is not making it really obvious that like okay, well this dude lettered this book yeah. or this dude lettered this book when someone else drew it, but to me, you know, it it all comes down to making. In making a thing look as look as as whole and uniform or complete, uh, you know, from a single, almost like a single vision, almost as possible. Yeah, yeah, and uh, see, the idea that that's a good thing to be doing is genuinely debatable. Like, why do you <laughs> want to uh, pretend that only one person did, did this? Like, why why are we shying away from the collaborative aspect of it? You know, that's that's a very reasonable question to be asking. So. Um, I want to kind of take this back to the days of hand lettering because uh, hand lettering forms essentially 90% of my inspiration in lettering. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. um, I'm I'm, like, it's not exactly a good old days thing, but I think that (laughs) uh, like digital lettering 
has made certain things simpler and it's also made lettering overall a faster process. And mm -hmm. uh, I can completely understand that, uh, you know, digital lettering should look like digital lettering and it should just get the job done quickly. That's a, that's mm -hmm. a very reasonable thing to be thinking. What the interesting that I think that I found, I, th I think I heard this from somebody in some lettering discussion and mm -hmm. I started like looking at old books and I started noticing a certain thing that this particular tactic was adding to the book. So the way lettering used to be done uh, in the days of hand lettering was that either um, the penciler would pencil the page, then send it over to the letterer who would letter the uh, who would letter the page and then they would draw the balloons and they would draw the panel borders yes, and then yeah, they would yeah. send it to the inker okay that was one way of doing it or the other way mm -hmm. is that uh, the page goes directly to the inker and then it goes to the letterer and then the letterer letters on an overlay you know so basically essentially it's uh, uh, basically it's a velum overlay uh, so essentially you can see the page um, so you kind of use a light box and then you uh, letter the thing on a separate piece of paper and then mm -hmm. the production people will add those things together. So yeah. what I noticed was that the fact that the letterer was drawing the panel borders, suddenly like the, the book looks a lot more unified. Like it, it, like even though there's a separate person who's lettered the page, uh, it looks off a piece. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, yeah, because well, their the signature is on it a little bit more, isn't it? Exactly. No, it's it's not not just even about the signature. It looks like, look, um, the main line that is separating the image from the outside of the image is the panel border, right? Yeah. And if that and the balloons look exactly the same, you sort of like your mind reads it as unified, even yeah, if, yeah, yeah. even if there are a variety of lines being used within the panel itself. Do you think do you, do you think that is as in like a, a kind of um, almost like a it's much more specifically like a frame? Do you know what I mean? I think so. Yeah, like, it, a, like it, it is exactly, and you know, like a window. Yeah, and the funny like this is this. I'm going to go on a slight tangent here. The funny thing is that <laughs> is actually one of the reasons that you would have a lot of uh, balloons that would open up to the gutter because it's a lot easier to do in hand lettering. Yeah. Because you're mm -hmm. you're the one drawing the panel border and the balloon, <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. which is why you you can see workman like kind of like he would love opening up his balloons between those panel borders and like you know all of those things, mm -hmm. and you can see that working because he's doing the panel borders as well a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, what I what I looked at was that I saw that and I kind of thought, what can I do to replicate that? Because uh, before that, what I'd been doing was that I would have a digital stroke on my balloon that would be that would range from 0.75 to 0.9 points um, mm -hmm. and the what I started realizing is that there are books on which that looks good which is when the panel border is like around the same size and mm -hmm. when the panel border is not around the same size it starts to like my lettering starts to look pasted on yeah so I wanted yeah, yeah, to yeah. do something that unifies the lettering with the page like that flattens it out a little that makes like you know there's a there's a there's that diegetic extra diegetic gap between the lettering and the page mm -hmm. i just wanted to close that a little 
I, but I, I, I think this is the thing, like, because I, I fully agree with that, and I think yeah. if you all it all it is to me is you've got a lovely backstory to it, but for me, all it is is <laughs> if we're gonna, if we're going to spend the time of picking a font that works for the book, why don't you know you, why aren't you taking that a step further? Because we we make that decision exactly. We make that decision for you know the color of caption boxes. Um, we, we make that decision for is this going to be in lowercase or uppercase or whatever. Um, but the, to not make that decision for the the actual balloon itself just seems like well why aren't we? It is just another tool at our disposal. So it, yeah, it feels weird to me to be kind of being like well you know we'll figure out the font and we'll figure out the colors and stuff. But I'm stopping at the stroke width like that like it's not even, or not even necessarily the width really as so much as the design. Um, yeah, because like I know that you like for example you in Versus you did like the the kind of um, you know oblong more like uh, European comics kind of like style and stuff like that which again yeah. what like Harrow County did it as well but you don't see it in, you don't see it super often in like sort of monthly main like mainstream US sort of comic style stuff absolutely um, but but there is a like that is also a decision so the fact like you are making a decision to to just keep it in a certain way but that's still a decision you're being you're making so i feel like you still i would i come from a school of like you need to have justification for everything like that's what i was taught uh, when, when i was when i studied film production like they, they said like it's okay if you want to shoot the film like this or it's okay if you want the film to sound like this but they were like at least have a reason as to why though and i yeah. think like that's always the kind of thing that sits in the back of my mind like no, if i make a decision like, like why Exactly. You look at Versus and the brief that I was given was look at Mobius, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like the first thing that I thought about was, okay, uh, so I basically gave them three options. One of them were like, you know, flourishy big balloons, uh, yeah. you know, like European style. Mm -hmm. And one of the other options was that squared off thing. And what I thought about was that wouldn't it look cool if this is sort of a mix between Mobius-like European comics and American superhero comics. So yeah. like, you see the font on Versus is very American mainstream kind of font. Is it mild-mannered, right? Is yeah, it? it's, it's mild-mannered. Yeah. Like I've, yeah. sort of, I've sort of tweaked it a bit, but it's basically mild-mannered. Yeah. And, and the balloons are very like squared off and they have these little angles running down them once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was an interesting mix. And I, I think somebody has commented that it's a bit ostentatious. But the fact is, <laughs> no, the, the fact is, when you're reading it, three pages in, you're going to forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah. only going to be noticeable for three pages. What that yeah. has done is that it's taught me problem solving in a lot of different ways. Can I go on a little bit of a tangent here? Yeah, please, please. So I could not do captions and electric balloons in the standard way in verses because mm -hmm. of balloons were taking up, you know, that real estate. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up doing a couple of very interesting things with uh, voiceover and electric balloons because mm -hmm. of that, because we could did not have the standard tools at our disposal. So I'm not, I'm not going to tell what I did, but you can just take a look at the book and like this, this is the <laughs> stuff that I'm really happy with on those things. Because that's the same with, I said Harrow County earlier, but what I meant was House of Penance. Uh, but that's the same with House of Penance, where it uses the, the kind of squared uh, rectangular oblong balloons. And at, like at first, yeah. I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, wow, this is this is kind of cool." And because it, it even does like, um, if I'm remembering this right, for, uh, House of Pens, it even does like curved off edges. Um, and uh, yep, I think. Yeah. And I was I was kind of looking at that like, this is awesome. Like it was one of the I, I think for a long time, the first time in a long time, I'd seen something like that in a kind of like a monthly book. Um, and yeah. I was just like, "Oh wow!" And then yeah, you know, two or three pages in, I was like. 
uh, I, I'd forgotten about it, and th- and that's also um, a thing that you know that we that we um, we taught at film school is uh, I say film school university was uh, it wasn't like a cool <laughs> film school was um, you know uh, you can you can you what you want to do is just make you can do these flourishes but just make sure that you do them to a point where people just forget about them because what you want is people to get yeah. sucked up into the story and if people if people have spent twenty two pages going oh wow these these balloons are still oblong. Then there might be a bigger problem with the book. Is what, is what yeah, I'm like I, I mean, I'm not somebody who thinks that immersion is uh, above all what you want in a story. Like I'm not uh, somebody who believes that the words and everything else should disappear. But if you're doing something ostentatious, you better have a really good reason for it. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there better be a point to what you're doing. Well, le- right. Okay. So let me ask you. So if we've we, if we've argued for the sake of um being fancy should we should we say what what is the what do you believe is the argument like, sort of against doing that like what what is the argument that was being put forward for a uh, you know like a just like a kind of more like a i don't want to say i don't i'm not you know just like a more standard sort of normal what you might typically kind of find uh, balloon yeah so the so the argument that i read was that um, essentially you're pretending to do something else. Like mm-hmm. you're you're trying to pretend that your balloons are hand-drawn when okay. they're not. Yeah. Uh, and that, let's say, the with the contextual alternates. Like, so, for example, one of the other arguments there was there's such a thing called contextual alternates in fonts. What that enables you to do is that, let's say, uh, I'm writing the word necessary. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Auto ligatures, like basically um, uh, I can tell a font software to basically say that when I type two S's, you replace it with this other thing that I've drawn that is a set of two slightly different S's, Mm -hmm. right? That's auto ligatures. You can also say, uh, sorry, you can also tell the font software that if there are two E's in a word, change them around like so for example in necessary the first e would look different from the second e Mm -hmm. that is something you can do using contextual alternates Mm -hmm. and the argument that i saw was that that is basically also trying to pretend that you're doing this by hand essentially that you're um, you're trying to do something uh, that was feasible and viable in a different medium Mm -hmm. but the fact is, when a hand letter hand letterer is lettering a page, they're not trying to draw two different S's. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they're yeah, trying yeah. to draw the same S. Yeah. They're just happening to draw two different S's. Yeah. So that was the argument. That was basically the argument is that you're basically trying to replicate the inefficiency of one medium yeah. uh, in, in another medium mm-hmm. to sort of fool the reader into thinking that uh, you're actually doing it in a different medium, Why, which... Which I agree, actually. Like, I agree that trying to fool the reader into basically think, assuming that you're doing something else, yeah, is a little bit of a fool's errand. Like, there's but no, there's no real, how, yeah, but like, there, there's some value in it, but not, it's not the be all and end all of everything. But there is a weird counterpoint to that, which I think you maybe made as well. But there is a weird counterpoint to that. I think you know, I think you did make this. But the count, the the, the weird counterpoint to that, which like springs up in my mind straight away. Is but we're but we're using comic book fonts, and those comic exactly. book fonts are designed to be hand. They're meant to look handwritten. They're based off you know for the most part off of people's handwriting or you know historically for people's handwriting or what comics used to look like. Exactly. So yeah, if, I if, actually 
So we should all just be using like Arial or Tahoma. Yeah, <laughs> if that, like yeah see, by the, by, by the way, this is, um, this is funny because Manga actually uses the equivalent of Arial and Tahoma. Yeah, like yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They just use the standard font. Yeah. They don't use a lettering font. And uh, in fact, Comic Craft is uh, like they did a Kickstarter last year to actually do a sort of Japanese version of their Wild Words font mm-hmm. to kind of enable uh, Japanese uh, artists to letter their comics using something that looks comic booky in quotes. Yeah. But yeah, like so. But my uh, my counter argument to that is that it is definitely an arbitrary decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not gonna say that hand lettering is superior because that's how we do it. But <laughs> I, my argument is the other way around. It is that because that has been the way we do it for such a long time, there have there have there are weird developments that have happened that we would be foregoing if we just turned back to doing, uh, you know, lettering with Arial. So, yeah. so here, here's a big big point that I have. So. Um, I used to talk fonts with Clem Robbins at some point, and he told me that the delightful thing that about Gaspar's lettering, for Clem at least, was that every time he would draw a letter, he would be reacting to the letter that came before it and after it. Yeah. So, for example, if you're, um, let's say I'm writing the word ecstasy, mm-hmm. the S and the Y the 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 top of the s would essentially bend slightly backwards to accommodate the 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 first leg of the y yeah uh and like essentially he kind of like uh, went through the letters like you 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 would basically see that um uh, so the v and the e like they would change shape slightly if they were coming next to each other mm-hmm. and things like that and that is something that could only happen in hand lettering yeah. So the thing is, when you're shifting to digital lettering, I don't think it's wrong to try and attempt to do that. So Clem, by the way, did in fact attempt to do that. And he his like the reason that his font has so many glyphs <laughs> is that he's done all of those things and he's kind of like um kind of created glyphs that would give him that those combinations. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, there's a there's a beautiful series of articles that he wrote called Asystole about this, about how we came about this. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I think we should link that in the show notes. We'll so put in the description, there, yeah. Yeah. So there's such a beautiful thing that has come out of the fact that hand lettering is imperfect that I was like, I'm like, why would we want to give that up just because we are now doing it digitally? Why would we just want to pretend that that doesn't exist? Well, this is right. This this is actually like very similar <laughs> a debate to what happened in uh, you know in film with digital versus uh, well film, um, where what you've got <laughs> with what, what I mean what you've got initially was and well even now is you've got digital tools so digital cameras digital sensors um, uh, that digital workflows that wanted to emulate the look of film because what we get with analog stuff and people talk about this all the time with comics and i think we even probably mentioned it last time is that i kind of like that tactile um textural you know feeling that a physical thing has a digital thing doesn't um so what you can do and what we saw in film is we saw people starting to lean into that and go okay so we understand that like film 
uh, you know, 35 millimeter film has a certain kind of feel to it. 60 millimeter film also does um, something like, you know, Black Swan. Uh, yeah. was shot on 60 millimeter and you can really see that when you go and see that in the cinema it's really grainy really textural yeah um and what this people started doing with digital was going okay well what we we've got this really clean uh output like let's dirty it up a little bit so they were doing what the kind of i suppose the argument we're kind of making which is like they were using digital tools to replicate a uh, sort of a kind of replication of of a hand uh, analog tool right yeah and but, but uh, here's here's an example that i think um explains why we should not let it go, at least from my point of view. Uh, yeah. Taking a look at aspect ratios in film, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of films these days are using variable aspect ratios. And one of the things that they let you do is they let you signify things. Yeah. They Like a 4 by 3 is going to let you signify an old uh either a television show or like an old movie or mm-hmm. if you use one by one it's essentially like a home movie thing if you use rounded off edges you know all of those yeah. things the 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 artifacts of uh, old media can now let you signify things and add dimension to your uh, either your storytelling or your, the overall experience Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is why I think we should not let it go. Like we basically, like I'm pretty sure that you have things in, like see for example, take Bende dots. You know, yeah. They, yeah, they're an artifact of print, but the fact that we use them now is letting us signify stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I mean, but I think the other the other argument is if we're going to take it as these are uh, you know um, elements of a thing that we should have moved past or we can move past. Yeah. The question becomes, well, what are we moving like towards? This is getting weirdly philosoph- <laughs> like philosophical for lettering, but it's like, and, and this is the thing with film. So we, what we found was people looked at a very that very clean digital image, and they realized you could make it. It, it, it was really sterile, and so you could use that to your advantage in the, in the way that you were telling stories. Yeah. Um, you could you can use that as part of the tool. When we saw with 3D was, you know, we saw okay, you know, 3D looks kind of cool. People can jab you with the eyes or whatever. But then we saw. Um, Goddard made Goodbye to Language in 3D, which played with what trying to use 3D to do something else within the narrative. So there's like scenes where um, the right eye image will pan and show you a different scene, while the left eye image shows you a different scene. So oh. you can close you can close one eye and see one thing, close the other eye and see a different thing. Wow. So, but but I mean it's it's insane it's insane uh, to watch it. It's it's, it's yeah. It's, <laughs> and you are obviously incredibly aware of it. Um, but it's also using three D to kind of say something. And so I suppose the question is if if we shouldn't be replicating, or if the argument is to not try and replicate the old style uh, of hand lettering because that's not what digital um, you know because you're not going to get the same character. What what does digital offer? Like it. As obviously it offers the flexibility to change stuff around, which is why mostly we use it. But like, what is it as a tool? So what, like, what decisions can we make as a digital tool that we didn't have access to before? And that's where I would start to struggle because I don't know beyond the practicalities. Like, I don't know as a artistic choice, what does it give us? Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, what does it offer us? I think yeah, I think I have a couple of answers which would which might fall into the practicality zone. Um, But it, so a hand letterer was always limited to what they could draw by hand, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was limited to their abilities. What I can do now 
is that let's say I want to um, have a cursive letter in a comic. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be able to do cursive. I can purchase <laughs> right, a font yeah, from yeah. somewhere and yeah. I can use it. So uh, when I want to signify things, when I want to uh, use uh, different fonts or different styles in my lettering to indicate certain things, I am no longer limited by what I can accomplish. Yeah. Which I think is a big advantage. It it sort of slides into practicality as well. Like, I mean, the fact is, I am now doing professional fonts. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm creating fonts that I'm using in some of my books. And mm-hmm. they take a long time to make. <laughs> a really long yeah. time. So even if I can, if I decide to spend a lot of my time doing that, I mm-hmm. would be broke by now. But this, but that, but that is, I, I, I'd maybe argue that's a practicalities thing. Yeah, yeah. Because because you, you know you could you could just learn how to write. It, it would take you time, but you could just learn how to get your handwriting to that to that point to do that kind of style. Yeah. You could, you could like, there, there wouldn't be anything stopping you beyond time. So right. I would argue that that is potentially a practicality. It's not, yeah, like it's not something brand new to uh, the medium. And this is, this is what I mean. Like I understand the argument that um, you don't have to have those kind of uh, little quirks because if we're going to argue that those quirks were just because, you know, it, that wasn't, they weren't on purpose, say. So if that person wasn't specifically trying to make their ease different in the same word or whatever, <laughs> um, that's a quirk. We're going to say that's a quirk of the analog age. Yeah. Like, let, let's call it that. So the digital doesn't have to have that. Correct. But yet, but yeah, I think it comes back to that same argument that, uh, that we talked about last time, which was the the artwork is still drawn. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's still someone's hand. So ultimately, and we're still emulating real media in the way that we do that even digitally. So we're, we're doing the same thing. We're, we're, everyone, every part of the process is using digital to emulate uh, reality. So like analog. So yeah, an thing. artist is using a Cintiq with, with, in Photoshop or Manga Studio with a pen that is designed to look something like the tool they would use in an analog manner. So I think everyone would have to take the next step forward to create something that was digital. And, but I just don't know what that is. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah, know what, yeah. that, what that thing looks like. And I don't know. <laughs> well, I have a vague idea, but I just, I'd like, which is, you know, using CGI models for everything and not, and not hand drawing it. And then maybe you could, you could lean very much so on the digital aspect of the lettering, but I don't know that that's necessarily a comic that I would love to read. Exactly. I think, uh, I think comics is a medium that, um, like we are, we are in a transition period, but I don't know if comics is a medium that's particularly well served by um, shifting to make it look digital or something. Like I don't know if yeah, I, I mean, like you look at you look at digital comics as they're being made right now, and like you know stuff that you consume on a screen. A lot mm-hmm. of them essentially are are emulating stuff from other media. You know, yeah, so there's either, yeah. you know, basic animation or sound and stuff like that. So I think people are struggling to figure out what is it that digital comics can give us that analog comics can't. Um, and like Alan Moore, for example, believes that comics are pretty much perfect as they are as a medium. Like, <laughs> as in essentially that you can, like you, 
like all these all, all this struggle to do other things with it is uh, I, I don't remember what he said exactly but that he said that like you still have a lot to work with this like there is there is a lot yeah, to well, yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah. these limitations that you have not yet explored mm-hmm. before you can go and explore yeah. other things um I think, but I, I think there is digital. I think there. I think there are things you can do with the form digitally that is different. That is interesting. And because I I, 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 I like since I, I did like the the strip pile naked episode about um like Korean web comics and that kind of like infinite canvas. Infinite canvas. Um, See, I, I I get what you. I get that, but I'm not. Yeah, sorry. You know, I just well, it's again, it's a it's a preference or a taste thing. But I, yeah. I like that that opens up possibilities. But again. The way they're drawn is still is still replicating an analog style. Exactly. So that's what I mean. Like, I don't think it matters the presentation in the way that, like, is it pages or is it a web comic or whatever. Yeah, like, see, ultimately, like the thing in the on that you are going to be looking at is still it's still like someone trying to make it look like they've drawn it by hand with a brush or a pen. Yeah, and even if they haven't, even if they've sort of um, it's 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 a very much a vector thing or something. Mm-hmm. That is. That is still a aesthetic choice. That's not really an expansion of the medium. Like that's um, like if you if you manage like I I could do um, you, you can like look at diesel diesel cuties for example. I think it's called diesel mm-hmm. cuties, right? Uh, where it's sort of like all pixel art, mm-hmm. and that's it's an outlier. It's it's a it's a particular aesthetic. It's not a replacement of the medium. Uh, even even the even the infinite canvas for example is essentially a version of the choose your ad- own adventure book like yeah like you, you know the, all those multi strand storylines and stuff like that yeah, people yeah. thought of them when we were still doing those on paper like yeah like hypertext for example hypertext stories that we have a lot of these days they were mm-hmm. figured out before the internet like they we just yeah, the internet yeah. is just a better implementation of it yeah. Yes. But that, I mean, it, it's it's the same with you know it's the same with film. But it's 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 figuring out like how do you use the digital tool to do something that you couldn't do with the analog tool. Yeah. And I think like there are beyond I uh, say like it's beyond the kind of like just the stuff to make your life a bit easier. And I think film is getting there. It's, it's getting there to a point where it's it's like well I can do this thing with digital that I can't do with analog. Which is? And so I can understand the di- well for example like um um Steven Soderbergh shot uh that, that horror movie um in. Yeah. Unsane on yeah on like an iPhone seven and you know his crew was tiny and so practicality and convenience thing rather than it is it is it is but it also like there is a huge difference between shooting on thirty five mil film in terms of uh, light in terms of what you can do with the space uh, in terms of like actual time so yeah there is a part of it that is practicality but also part of it is you just couldn't physically get the shots and get the angles and get the look that you wanted from that you get with an iPhone seven that you can get on film. Because if you, if you, I don't know if you've seen it, but like there's a bunch of stuff in that film that is shot like really, really weird from deep, like deep focus angles that sort of emulate a kind of um, like voyeuristic kind of voyeuristic point of view. It's, you can, you can do that with film, but it's much more difficult because you have to essentially work against the nature of the way that like film and film lenses work on the camera. So what you have to do, you have to like go against the grain. So you end up using a, an analog tool to do something it, it doesn't want to do yeah. 
to get there. So it's, it's that's what I mean. Like I don't I don't get I I get comics digitally as in what can we do with by putting them on the screen we can present them in a different way. But fundamentally, and th- and then this is also the same with film though. Fundamentally, the way you make it is the same like regardless of if you're using digital or analog on film you're essentially making the film the same way and so that's the thing with comics you're essentially making comics the same yeah way. i would say i would um, say that what you just described is stuff that is genuinely happening in comics especially in color like i think that digital coloring has moved way beyond what analog coloring used to be um mm-hmm, but not mm-hmm. just in terms of like you know, yeah, yeah, cmyk yeah. separations and stuff but uh, there's a lot of stuff that digital coloring can give you that you couldn't get with either a watercolor or like acrylics or, you know, all of yeah, those things. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could like even uh, see, for example, Matt Hollingsworth now integrates um, actual like medium, media. like Real paint. Yeah, yeah real yeah, paint, yeah. real paper yeah. and all of those things. And, and he does something with them that they would not be doing in an analog zone, you know. Mm-hmm, um, and absolutely. I believe, uh, I think I saw a discussion on Twitter about how I think Russell Doutman particularly is doing a lot of things with his digital artwork that you either just can't do on paper or mm-hmm. that would be way too difficult to do with that kind of consistency and that kind of, yeah. um, you know, that kind of flair. Like they, they, even Jen, yeah. ba- Jen Bartle's artwork, Jen Bartle's artwork looks digital. But yeah, like she's not pretending that it's done by hand, but she's using those textures um, in very interesting ways, like the way she does hair, for example. Um, I don't yeah, know yeah, be yeah. able to do that on paper. Um, yeah, but it, it's weird. It's like, but I, I, I'm maybe I'm, I've talked myself into it being practicalities all over again, which probably it <laughs> is. Um, but I think it, again, even if probably even my film example comes down to practicalities ultimately. No, um, I, don't, I don't. I don't think so. I think there's a there's a sort of. Um, I think you did hit on the right zone, and I think it's a. Uh, I think both of these media are in a transitional zone in that uh, yeah. because we are still figuring out. We are still figuring this out. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. we've figured this out. I think, like so, uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff that a letterer now can do that they would not be able to do on paper, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of that is to do with consistency or yeah. um or i don't know like color for example like i think yeah, yeah, yeah. i think a letterer right now can use color in their lettering like there's there's a wonderful thing that uh, clayton did in the latest wicked and divine where um there's a there's a there's a flashback scene and there's a gradient used on the flashback scene that goes from purple to pink and the lettering does the same thing <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, although yeah. technically, technically, I can imagine, like, if I'd lettered that on paper and given it to a colorist, the colorist could do it. But the colorist would also be doing it digitally, rather than like you can't, you wouldn't be able to take like black, uh, like you wouldn't want to take black ink and then do that, yeah, in, in an analog way. Like, I mean, that would be just weird. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So I think I think it's a push and pull thing. I think I think we we have to stay within the realm of believability. As in, um, when a reader is looking at something, they cannot be um, confronted with something that is too outside the realm of the surroundings mm-hmm, environment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think we are sort of like transitioning slowly to a point where we can do weirder and weirder things. We are just in the middle of that right now is what I would <laughs> to, to sort of go back and defend the other point of view in a way as well. 
is ultimately like we talked about it being uh, when we talked about like house of penance and verses and stuff is that like you know after a few pages with enough consistency uh hopefully people get sucked in or not even sucked in but just you know it just becomes part of the texture of the of the work overall yeah. and that argument i suppose also stands in a way for doing it you know like in a, with a more um without a cal- like calligra- calligraphic stroke we're doing it with like a standard stroke is that yeah like okay? I, I can absolutely you know, understand it, somebody sorry yeah it will blend in i was just going to say it will it will blend into the work as well but i yeah but it just for me i don't know it just comes down to the same thing man it just comes down to to choice and decisions and i feel like that's a decision being made is i but again it's the way you frame it so the decision for me is like okay how do i make this fit the artwork so i would have to say to myself either i don't want to do that or that's not as important and i don't know to me those things feel quite important to the, to to sort of you know my process absolutely yeah like i think um i think it's a difference in saying what, like my question is what can i add to the experience and yeah. um uh i can absolutely think um i can absolutely understand somebody saying that what i need to add to this experience is absolute readability and um, you know um, getting out of the way yeah getting out of the way i can absolutely mm. understand as a point of view um it's just not my point of view basically there's, but there's um, also there is there is an argument that getting out of the way means matching the artwork as much as possible. That, exactly, <laughs> you, like you, you could also make just, that argument. Yeah, those are two ways of getting out of. The, see, uh, the what what we are sort of looking at here is the experience that something creates in a viewer's head, right? So, mm-hmm. um, see, there's, there's a I I had this uh, I think I had, I saw somebody talking about this. I don't remember who it is a long time ago but they basically said that in western comics you just never cover up let's say a character's eye with yeah. a balloon yeah. yeah it would just look weird and i absolutely agree with them now that's a thing that happens a lot in manga and it has a function yeah like yeah. it it does stuff like it's not it's not it's not that the writer or the artist didn't think about it. it it's it's a deliberate decision that is part of the language of mm-hmm. comics there. So mm-hmm. uh, the same with, for example, square balloons in Europe. It's just part of the language. Like nobody bats an eyelid about square balloons there. But yeah. in American comics, they read specifically. They read like a voiceover or they read like mm-hmm. a quote caption or they would read like an electric caption. Uh, yep. But the fact is, that happens till I uh, make you used to them. You know, like if mm-hmm. if I tell yeah. you that what I'm doing is I'm like, it it looks ostentatious at the beginning, but what what is going to happen is that they're going to part be part of the background. They're gonna like three pages in, you're going to understand that this is how the this particular uh, comics lettering functions, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you're going to like do other stuff like that is going to be your baseline and what we yeah. are arguing about here is what your baseline should be my argument is that i'm okay to jar people for a moment before establishing a baseline while other letters <laughs> yeah. are saying that no 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 i want to work with the baseline that the reader already has and i think yeah. that's that's perfectly acceptable. yeah yeah i th- yeah i mean the, it, it, the, ultimately there is no right or wrong because uh, it yeah I, th- I think what is relevant here is the second part of what I was going to say, wh- which was that um, as a letterer, how much 
of a voice do you want to yeah. have yeah. in a book? Like, uh, for all that I have these opinions, if a collaborator tells me that, hey, this this SFX is way too big. Like, I get what you're trying to do, but no. <laughs> I mm-hmm. would change it. Because um, the the your what you're trying to do is not to have your own voice like i don't i don't want a reader to look at one of the books that i lettered and think that oh aditya <laughs> did this yeah what i want to do is this is creating an effect mm-hmm. in the book mm-hmm. that is adding to the experience. and like i uh, so like i don't i don't want to have a voice beyond everybody else's like i don't i don't want to i i don't want this to be that what I'm bringing to the page is important to the point where I'm not going to brook any disagreement from anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll, like, I'll relate this back to film um, in that my experience of filmmaking um, is we, there is a vision. There is an overall thing that you're trying to do with a piece of work and a big part of filmmaking you know, when I've done it is, is getting that vision to everyone and also having them kind of, you know, they, they input their part of the vision. We kind of form this one whole thing together. And then we spend the rest of the time driving and delivering that one thing. And so when the film is finished, yeah. it's very easy to go, okay, this is this person's voice. But I mean, it's not, but it's, if you've made something like that, you know, it's not as simple as that. But Often, often it just—it's yeah. very easy just to attribute it and go like, okay, well, that's you know, this one person was saying this one thing, and we're all—we all do that all the time, for like creative works. Um, but you're—it's about putting all those things together and creating that one uniform thing, so that when someone interacts with that piece of work, it's not confusing, it's not all over the place, it's not scattergram or scattershot. Again, unless yeah. unless that's by design and intent. But you, so they take one kind of that one whole thing away from it. And I think comics needs, you know, to me, comics is the same. So you've got you've got these different voices, these yeah. three or four or five different voices or whatever it is on each book, um, and they're all doing different separate parts of the process. Um, but overall, they are all informed by one another, or they should all be informed by one another, so that they are like kind of by the time they finish and they're printed on the single page, they are one uniform thing. And so, I think yeah. everyone like, needs to everyone should be building towards that thing. Like, you know, the, the writer has like an idea or a concept. The artist takes that concept, puts it onto the page. The colorist um, punches that in with the colors and works around what everyone else is doing as well as adding their own flair. And I feel like the letter, their role is to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cite a very out of left field example okay. here, but, um, so, uh, I think it was season five of Dr. Who. Right. Uh, and there was an episode where, um, there's a very tense scene happening. Uh, there's going to be a cliffhanger and suddenly there's an announcement like at the bottom of the screen there's an ad for the next show <laughs> and it absolutely undercuts the effect uh, that the that the serial mm-hmm. is going for mm-hmm. you know and obviously people were outraged about it and like BB, the bbc apologized and like they were like okay we won't do this again and then you look at monty python who used to integrate 
BBC announcements into their show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they would ostentatiously say that. Like they would have the credits. Like they they would have the end credits half a minute into mm-hmm. the show. They would like have three announcements during the show that pretended to be the BBC, and you know all of this stuff. It's that the 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 question is whether what you're doing is adding to the effect or not. It's just it's just that that's 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 sort of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was very out of left field. I don't oh, know why. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. I, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I'd argue, I'd argue that like the Doctor Who advert example is, uh, or well, rather the Monty Python example is not as, uh, is is far more in your face than some of the lettering things we've talked about uh, this episode. Um, but but I, get, exactly. but, I, but I know what you mean. I, I get. I understand. Uh, it's and it is a fair. Yeah, it is a fair point. There is. There is. I don't think there is a line so much as so. If you embrace it, the line can the see, line can example, shift very see, right. For example, Morrison. Yeah, like see, for example, in Morrison's uh, Animal Man run, there's a point where Animal Man looks up at us <laughs> and says, "says I yeah, see." Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a bit in Seven Soldiers where Zatanna puts her hand to the page, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like, I mean, I think you would be a heartless person if you didn't actually like, you know, when that happened, like you you have to have put your hand. <laughs> To her hand because you're helping her yeah. out, and you know what? That's that's one of the most dissonant uh, things you could do. That's one of the most ostentatiously like it's you know you're drawing your attention to the fact that this is a paper mm-hmm. medium, but at the time it was also an emotional moment. It's like the emotion is not undercut by the moment. It's if anything, it make it made you part of the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so like that incredibly ostentatious trick. Add it to your experience of the book, and uh, like again, like I'll. I think it all comes down to that that same point, uh, which is decision making. So, I think so yes. much of this of a letter having a voice, um, or your approach, uh, or the way you want to stylize the approach. Ultimately, it's just it's a series of decisions that you would make as a you know a person working in this kind of in this industry in this medium uh, when you're starting from. Uh, absolutely nothing, and th- I mean, this is a fun thing from comics. You, like every single person essentially starts from starts from zero. You know, the the writer starts with a blank page, the artist starts with a blank page, the the colorist starts with a black and white page, and the letterer starts with a a, a page with no words on it. Um, so everyone essentially is building something from scratch for each of their parts of the process, and and with that just comes a whole ton, a whole series of decisions, um, and essentially that those series of decisions end up like leading to you to your style or whatever your style will be for that for that piece of work. Um, which is it's the interesting thing when you pitched the the topic because it was like I I get your point of view, I also get the other point of view, and. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. Like I have, I have no problem with like this is this is not an arg like, this is not an argument. Like I'm not trying to say that the other point of view is invalid in any way. I think I think there's tons of perfectly yeah. great letters that do that. Yeah, but it, but that's the and thing. It's, like, it's it's that's what's so interesting about it is it, it is ultimately just a series of decisions. Yeah. And so like exactly in the, in the exact same way that you could have like uh, you could give the same script to like a bunch of artists and you, and you only have to look at people taking like those sample Marvel pages um, and doing like yeah. a thousand different things with them and it's like none of those is none of those in terms of uh, like you know the, like storytelling might be wrong wrong or right it's just a series of different decisions that, that they've taken um, and that's exactly. like that's the really cool thing about it is you can take one book and you could leather it in like a whole like bunch of different ways and all those different ways may work. What you know, 
someone like, I'm, I'm sure i'll take a stab at it it'll be terrible but some of those ways that may work but like it will all be, it'll all be slightly different experiences and that's the, that's the, like that's what's so like cool about it it's like thinking like you gave that i guess you like you've seen the thing of like the hulk ink being inked by four different people or whatever and it's like a different finished uh, piece yeah. and that's just that's, that's the awesome thing yeah. about it. it's like it's just a whole series of creative decisions that lead somewhere ever so slightly different each time and it will slightly exactly i mean that's the function of a creator after yeah. all right that that's how that's how you call somebody a creator if for example um i give up that those pencils to like four inkers and they came out ex- came back exactly the same <laughs> then i would conclude that inking is not a creative pursuit. <laughs> yeah 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 but since they do and like same with coloring same with lettering mm-hmm. like the fact that they do come back different is what makes that particular function a creative function yeah yeah. So how, so all right so how do we wrap this topic up? <laughs> what's 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 our what's our what's our bottom line? badly? I <laughs> well, what's our bottom line for this topic? So the topic was about uh, like uh, having a letter, having a voice, and um, a decision. I suppose okay. So it's a decision on do you so th- do you believe there is a point then at which uh, a creative or you know a letter, let's say specifically, ends up having to kind of collect a bunch of what would you call them like styles or their own their own approach or their own style or something like do you feel like that that develops or do you feel like that is much more flexible with say like your approach where you're trying to change it a little bit every time does that make sense yeah i think uh, that's that's interesting i think uh, uh, i have received this advice from a few people that maybe i should um I should I should be one of those people with a re- recognizable style. Um, I wouldn't do that because I I I, I have a very short attention span, <laughs> and that would be boring to me. But there's I think those are two like I'm on one extreme of the scale mm-hmm. where I try and letter every project differently, while uh, that thing is on the other end of the scale yeah. where. Uh, there's one particular style that you have and you kind of um, you are called to a project for that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think those and everything in the middle is all valid yeah like I I, yeah it's just that is where taste comes in that is where your um, client's taste comes in that is where your taste comes Mm -hmm. in that's where your reader's taste comes in I'm like for example like take Todd Klein Todd Klein is somebody with a very recognizable style. Like he has uh, two fonts and a third that he used in uh, Desolation Jones, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And I really like that font, like, by the way, in Desolation Jones. Yeah, that was, I think he was trying to do a sort of um, a mix between Terry Zenix and Gaspar Saladino mm-hmm. uh, with the balloons and with the thing. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really yeah, loved yeah. that. I wish he would do it more. Um, but like the thing is, there's there's a there's an advantage to that saying that everybody can see a Totline comic and say that it's a Totline comic. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, you take Gasper. Gasper would flit between styles, would change up his style, uh, or you look at Alex Thoth. Alex Thoth, like this is something that I would like to do at some point. Mm-hmm. Alex Thoth has done a lot of different things to do with storytelling in lettering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I would like. Some of those were dead ends. Some of those were like things that I look at them and I'm like, okay, that doesn't work. <laughs> but so many of them were like, oh, that that works. We just 
choose to go a different way mm-hmm. you know uh, and i think i think there's validity i think there's yeah there's a there's a pleasure to both aspects of it i love the fact that i can see a workman book and i can tell that that's work well uh, although like even workman does a bunch of different things in different books like uh, it's, it's, sorry, what was my point? I don't know if that's the point. <laughs> well, what what I was going to say was uh, a good way. I think maybe a good way to wrap this topic up then is to offer it out to people listening. If you've made it this far, fair play. Um, but also, yeah, because I think people have a lot of opinions about yeah. this, and I would love to hear. Yeah, them. I, 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 I think we'd be very them. interested to hear both. Like, you know, let's see who's listening to this. Uh, but both from <laughs> a like just like a reader perspective, as a reader. Is it? Do you notice, uh, as a reader, do you notice styles of letterers? Do you notice like a a consistent style of a letterer, and does that matter to you very much? Um, And or also similarly looking at uh, like the approach that we've been talking about, which is kind of adapting it to make it kind of maybe uh, similar in style to the the artwork it's it's going next to, like. Is that something you particularly notice? Like, is that, or is that something that when we've been talking about it this episode, you've been like, oh, okay, that's cool. I'll check that out. Um, and from a professional <laughs> point of view, if there are any of the letterers uh, listening to the podcast, hello. Also, you know, I'd lo- we'd love to hear your approach as well. Uh, and like, as to why, and then maybe, you know, maybe at some point we can get some people on and chat through some, this kind of topic some more. Um, yeah. So it's always, that would be really nice. I think. Yeah. I think it's always interesting. Um, so yeah, please just let us know, like, let us know what you think about that. Uh, and then we'll, you know, we'll hopefully try and address some of this stuff in the next, in the next episode. Yep. So, uh, we've made it to the end, have we? Brilliant. Seriously, I thought we only had one podcast in us. Like that was the second <laughs> one. And I have ideas for at least a couple more. I think we've done it. If, if anyone else has made it through two podcasts, I think. Yeah, that's, that's the question. <laughs> we'll because I think, like, I, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this one was where people said that, you know what? I think I've heard enough about lettering. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one, like, at first it's a novelty. Now it's like, are these two still talking about letter? Like, we've done now. We've finished. We've done letter. We've, exactly. we've talked we've all We've done lettering. you guys. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, if you have made it this far, thank you for checking out this week's Letters and Lines with Aditya and me. You can find the podcast at all the usual places. You can find podcasts. What I mean by that is RSS, an RSS feed that you can find uh, on Twitter or I guess on the SoundCloud page. And you can also find us at SoundCloud. Yeah, I think we are working on other places, right? Yeah, we're like, going to try and get onto that. iTunes and things when it seems less confusing. Yeah, for now, for now, you can use the RSS feed. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so you can keep up to date with me on Twitter at Aditya B and my website is AdityB.net. Um, we are still working to finish that up, but it should be done by the end of the month, I think. And I'm on Twitter at Hassan Awi. Plus, you can check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and my magazine, Panel by Panel, at panelxpanel.com. Thanks for listening.